Welcome to Alive, a Vineyard College ministry with the purpose to awaken students to their true relationship, identity, and destiny in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoy this message today. And if you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Facebook at Alive Vineyard College Family or Instagram at Alive Vineyard College. Can I have my bro D. Goo come up real quick? Y'all, I want to go ahead and I want to introduce y'all to somebody for a second. Hey, hey, can we get like a stand or something? I don't know, whatever else he needs, a stand. But Daniel Goulet, y'all heard Sharon share a little bit about this guy. He used to be the college pastor years ago when Sharon was in uh, college ministry and said that this man blessed him, blessed her, rocked her world. But this guy just packs heat. This guy not only... Does he run the More Love, More Power conferences? Not only does he see, you see him singing on stage, he preaches as well, but this guy has an identity story that's been blessing so many. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, we need some WD-40 all on there, right? Some, some anointing oil. Where's that anointing oil at? Um, so one of, the, one of the things I love about uh, D is that just the, the, the identity message he carries and that he's, he's, super, he's super real, he's super transparent, and um, you know, raw and, and, and uncut. And I believe that God is going to, you know, not only speak to you from Digu, but I think that there's going to be something to receive. So open your minds and open your hearts to receive from Digu, y'all. So let's give it up for my brother Digu, Daniel Goulet. And I want to pray real quick. So like, just extend a hand for him real quick. Cause you know, we got some technology demons in the house right now. Okay. So that, that like, yeah. we are so technologically like driven in our church and like <laughs> dependent that like, no, when, when the, when the technology don't work, we're like, okay, what do we do now? You know what I mean? Well, we're going to preach the word. Okay. We're going to talk and preach the word. So let's pray for my brother D. Thank you father for my bro. Yeah. Come, Holy Spirit. Despite the, the technology not working the way we want it to work, we know you are in charge. You're in charge still, and you're going to come through. So I pray, Father God, that whatever Daniel has to release, may it be a mighty deposit. A mighty deposit. And everything he pours out today, may it return to my bro times ten. In Jesus' name, we pray. Can we give it up again, house, Amen. for my bro? Let's go. Whoo! How you guys doing this morning? I can't even see you, but I'm sure you're there. Man, the uh, presence is thick in this place. I don't know if you guys know what you've been swimming in for the last 12 hours, but it, I was just back there. Whew, I feel it now. It's like... Sometimes when the presence comes on me, I just start weeping because it's like, Lord, you're so good. It's like all the things that are maybe going wrong in my life, all the things like it just doesn't seem to be uh, even compared to what you bring in my life. And so, man, so really cool what you guys have been cultivating. You know, it's, a, it's actually, I feel like I'm supposed to start here that it's actually a miracle that I'm standing here. Like, I didn't always follow Jesus. Actually, most of my life I didn't. And uh, I, I kind of grew up knowing a little bit about religion, um, a little bit went to 
couple Catholic services, that kind of thing. But I really didn't think it was for me. Like, I just didn't think God was for me. I didn't, like, church was really boring to me. It just didn't make sense. I didn't understand it. I didn't, why are we sitting and standing and kneeling and sitting and standing, like all that stuff. I, and I think I believed that God was real, but he was really distant. Like he was uninvolved. He didn't, I didn't want anything to do with my life. And, uh, you know, growing up, it, I, I kind of, it, it wasn't, I wouldn't say I had the worst childhood, but I definitely didn't have the best childhood. My dad was an alcoholic. And so there's a lot of physical and emotional abuse. And it, Man, it, it was just kind of, it was a little bit rough, a little bit rough growing up. And so when I got to college, um, you know, when you get to college and you guys are experiencing this, there's like all this freedom. I mean, immense freedom. No one is telling you what to do. No one is like, and so all of these issues that, you know, you know that I had growing up, and there was more things than just my dad, um, it, I, I found myself trying to feed all this pain, um, partying, relationships, sex, drugs, that kind of stuff. And, um, and everything I did, it just didn't seem to fulfill me. It, it didn't seem to, to fill that place. And so I kind of found myself in this uh, really dark place, um, you know, where I was confused and kind of angry about all the things. And um, I kind of discovered I was uh, emotionally immature. I don't know if you guys have ever, you know, felt like something happens to you, but you start acting like a 13-year-old, and you're just like, well, and you kind of do a tantrum, and you're just like, and I didn't realize all this until later, but I was like, whoa, I'm kind of immature. Um, but some of, the, some of the thoughts were really dark, like suicidal thoughts, like, I struggled with a lot of stuff, and so I, I found myself in a place where I really needed God to break into my life. And so when he broke in, I'm shortening this a lot because I'm going to go a different direction. But when he broke into my life, he delivered me of some pretty crazy addictions. And I, I feel like I'm just supposed to share this because Jesus is real. It's not, he's not just a feeling. He actually has power. And he freed me of addiction to pornography, which was huge. Um, brought healing into my life, you know, from things that happened in my childhood. I struggled with my sexuality. And he brought healing into that place in my life. Healing wounds from things that, that my dad did. And basically, all around transformed my life. So I, I just want to stand before you this morning and say, it's a miracle that I'm standing here. It's a miracle that I'm a pastor. I mean, who knew that would happen? If you knew me before, you'd be like, what? Uh, it's a miracle that I'm married. It's a miracle that I have three amazing sons. You can see one of those uh, pictures. How about the long one with our, us doing all these crazy moves? No, oh, no pictures. Oh, is the, is the video there? Oh. Oh. Well, hopefully by the end of that, end of this talk, that'll happen. All right, well, there's no pictures, but they're awesome sons. I actually have uh, one girl on the way, which is crazy. So we're going to kind of equal, equal uh, the playing field a little bit more. You know, my, my poor wife, Katie, has you know, <laughs> dealt with three crazy boys and me as well. And we even got a dog. I mean, that's a miracle right there. But today, I, I actually... 
Uh, man, I had all these pictures. I thought it was going to be funny. And anyway, not going to happen. But I'll show you later. I could show you on my laptop, but that won't be the same. But today I actually, as I was praying about identity and what I was going to share this morning, I really felt like I was supposed to kind of give you all a prequel to my message I'm going to share next weekend in big church. We call it big church. Do you guys call it big church? Yep. <laughs> this is actually going to be a little maybe raw version, um, uh, which you actually might appreciate. But I want to talk about this morning, uh, how do we listen to the right voice? And so let me just pray. I know Holy Spirit is here, but I just want to invite his presence even more. Mm. Yeah, you're good, Jesus. Spirit of truth, we just welcome you into this room. Would you open our hearts to just receive from you, Lord? I just, yeah, invite you to have your way. We invite you. We're, we're here. We're setting ourselves. We're setting aside our time, setting aside everything else to, to know you. And to be known by you, Jesus. And so we just welcome you. We just say, have your way this morning. God, I pray, you know, we go from glory to glory. We go from a place of breakthrough to another place of breakthrough. God, what you did last night, I bless it, Lord. And I just say, flood this place. Open the floodgates of heaven even more, Lord. Pour it out. Pour out your spirit this morning. We invite you. We invite you, Lord. Amen. So one day, I was in that in-between um, state when I was, you know, sleeping, but kind of awake, but kind of sleeping. You guys ever know that place that you're in? You don't, you don't really want to get up, and so you're like really trying to sleep. And I hear this really loud, deep voice that says, you're never going to be free. And it, I, like, jarred awake. I was, like, kind of stiff, and, you know, I couldn't move, and I was like, what, what, was, what was that? Was that? Was that real? Was that in my head? Did I, did I just hear a voice? It was a time in my life that, you know, I just talked about. Jesus was kind of freeing me of, of several addictions in my life, dispelling some lies I was believing. You know, Jesus, he's the truth, right? He, the truth sets us free. But... That morning, something shifted, and for the next several months, I began to feel this intense despair. Like, every time I was alone, it was like I had this spiral downward in these deep, despairing thoughts, really, really dark, and I would try to worship, and I'd, I'd pray, but it, it's like it, it, it wasn't helping. It was like out of, out of control, and those words that I heard you're never going to be free, just kept ringing over and over in my head. They just seemed so true. And so one night, I'm, I'm by myself, I'm kind of in this dark place, and I, I started to hear this other voice that said, you need to go to the young adult conference session tonight. You know, this is our church is having its first young adult conference. 
And I wasn't going to go. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm just going to stay home by myself. But I kept hearing this voice, you need to go. And I'm like, I'm not going to go. You need to go. I'm not going to go. You ever do that with God? <laughs> just back and forth, back and forth. And finally, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going. So that night, the pastor was speaking about their battle with depression. And this battle that they went through for five long years where sometimes they couldn't get out of bed. They needed people to prop him up. They, he, he, couldn't, he could almost not function during the day. And as, as he shared his journey that he went through in the deliverance, I'm sitting in the very far back with my jaw just like on the floor, like trying to hold back tears going, what he's describing is exactly what I've been experiencing for the last several months. This, this darkness, this despair, this not wanting to be around people, wanting to, to separate myself. And, you know, you, you ever had, you know, you know that, that thing that happens to you when you don't want to cry, but you're starting to cry and you're just like, like I'm not going to cry, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. You know, finally, he does this ministry call at the end, and, uh, Probably half the room walks up there. I mean, it was kind of crazy. Half the room walks up, and I was like, I'm not going up. But all of a sudden, I found myself walking up. You ever find yourself like, what am I doing? I don't want to do this. And as I'm walking up, I, I start to weep. I mean, like, ugly cry weep. Like, oh, God, you know? And so there's like three or four rows, and I'm just like walking up here, and I'm like, and the pastor's over there, and I'm just like, I'm going to hide behind this person. I'm just like, oh, God. You know, it's just terrible. I'm embarrassed. I'm like, why am I up here? I don't want to be here. And, of course, the pastor reaches four rows back, grabs onto my shoulder, and pulls me up to pray for me in private. And as he prayed for me, he began to speak this truth over my life. He began to share things of the things that God thought about me. And I literally felt something lift off of me. It was like I could feel this hope beginning to, to rise up. And all of a sudden that phrase, you're never going to be free, didn't seem very true anymore. So why was that voice so powerful? Why was that voice so powerful enough to, to kind of shake me up and influence my mind into this dark place for like months, like fear, anxiety, despair? You know, maybe you've heard of, uh, he was a megachurch pastor, Jared Wilson. Um, just recently took his life uh, because he dealt really ha hard life with depression and anxiety. He even ha had a whole ministry called uh, Anchor of Hope or Anthem of Hope for people that dealt with it. And it's also even sobering to hear two other pastors in the last three to four months have also taken their life. I mean, what, what is going on? It makes you go, what, what, what is happening? I actually looked up some statistics, and it's really kind of disturbing. Like, seven in ten teens say depression and anxiety are major problems among their peers. You know, sometimes we won't admit it, but you say, yeah, my friend deals with that. That's like 70%. 
46% of pastors battle depression. 40% of all Americans report issues with anxiety and depression. So I want you to look to your left right now. Just look to your left. Look to your right. The chances are that one of those people you looked at just now struggle with depression or some form of anxiety. When you add like other mental health issues, it's incrementally, exponentially increasing. But where, where is this coming from? Like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this increasing in our society? And it's interesting, as I did a little bit of research, I saw a very interesting quote from Julie Serrell, I think is her name. She's a professor at University of Kentucky. And she says this. She says, the thing about depression and anxiety and other mental illnesses or psychiatric conditions is it typically involves our brains lying to ourselves. You see, I believe the root issue is that many of us have become addicted to the wrong voice. See, this voice makes a lot of promises, but it never really delivers. Promises of happiness, promises of acceptance. Like, if I just do this, if I go along with what they're doing, they're going to accept me. Promises of success. If I just cheat a little or just fudge the truth a little bit, then, then I'll be successful. And this voice loves to tell you who you should be, but then condemn you when you don't measure up to it. And a voice has an agenda for your life. It wants to give you another identity and lead you astray from your destiny, what you were made for. Now, the voice has a name. Jesus calls him the thief in John 10.10. 10. It says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he has other names, the accuser, the destroyer. But, but I think one of the names that... I found him really best at in my life. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And it's interesting that Jesus calls him a father. You see, fathers have a unique role in our society. They have a unique role of speaking identity over people and calling people into their destiny. You see, fathers have the ability to often see giftings and callings in you that, that no one else can see. And many times, a father will actually awaken a calling and help someone step into it. So when a, the father of lies begins to speak over you, there's this like level of influence that is, is so compelling. It's, it's almost hypnotizing, so compelling that it can feel like the truth. But you see, the truth has already been occupied. Because the truth is a person. See, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I have come to give you a fulfilling, an abundant life. And he says one really important thing. My sheep will hear my voice. And I will call them by name. You see, when Jesus speaks, we are actually designed to hear him. This is, this is how we were made. And when we listen and obey his voice, the truth, Jesus, sets us free. I, I love this, John 8. If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. 
Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 18. Listen to this. This is a bold statement. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Just let that sink in for a second. So did, did any of you ever do like ask God for like a word of the year? I've tried this several times. <clears throat> you know, what's my word for you? You know, sometimes you get courage or boldness or, or something like that. And, but this year I just decided I'm not going to do that. It doesn't, you know, by, by like eight months in, I'm like, what was the word? You know, I don't even remember. So I was going to give up on it this year. And then I really sensed strongly that my word this year was giant slayer. And man, I was like, well, that, that word sounds exciting. I've never heard anybody have a word like that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slay some giants. Woo! I, get all, I got all excited when I heard that word. But you know, I was surprised to discover that most of the giants I've been facing are the giants in my head and in my heart. Like lies that have challenged who God is, lies that have challenged who God made me to be, circumstances that don't seem to match up. You know, when different things are stripped away that I still have worth and value, like those kind of lies. You know, in many ways, the biggest battles we face are for our minds. And so in light of giant slaying, I actually want to look at one of the most famous giant slaying stories around, David and Goliath. Like David battled lots of voices throughout his life. And I actually think we can learn a lot on how to battle those other voices in our head. Now, David's kind of a, a complex person. Um, he, he's in the lineage uh, of Jesus. Like when Jesus was walking around, they're like, Jesus, son of David. So I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty an important name. Uh, he wrote, actually wrote most of the Psalms. And in those Psalms, it's interesting because you see how well acquainted it is with, with fear and despair, lots of pain. I mean, can you imagine being chased for 15 years of your life? Like, he's anointed king, but then 15 years later, he actually becomes king. And for 15 years, he's being chased around, living in caves and, and hideouts. He's actually betrayed by his own son. His own son tries to overthrow him. He makes lots of mistakes, commits adultery. Uh, he, he's an accessory to murder. Uh, he's, that's probably maybe more than a mistake, right? And he even experienced, like, Intense grief by, by losing his child. And so through the Psalms, you just hear this like hopelessness, all these different voices he battled, but yet at the end of the Psalms, he always seemed to come back to God and God, who God really is, his faithfulness. But there's one key about David that I, I really want to key in on here. You know, I said he was anointed king, probably the, between the ages of 10 to 15, he was anointed king, and it says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Excuse me for a second. <coughs> I'm starting to cough. You see, what's key about David 
is that he got to experience what very few people in the Old Testament got to experience, God's presence in his everyday life. Like everything that was full of joy, everything that was full of pain, even when he didn't feel it, God was there with him and he never left him from that day forward. And so he's actually an amazing model of what every single one of us can experience today. The comforter, the, the guide, the teacher, the bringer of truth in our life. And so many of you know this story, right? This is a, you know, David and Goliath is when David first comes on the public scene. And so this giant comes up, he's nine feet tall, I'm like 6'3". So I want you to imagine three feet higher that's pretty, pretty crazy. He has all this battle gear, this, this huge sword, and, and Goliath comes out every day for 40 different days, and he yells curses and blasphemes God and, and belittles and defies Israel and say, you guys are worthless, and then it, it grips the Israelites so crazy they just run away all, all the time. So eventually David, who is still like a young man, he's under 20, we know he's not able to join the army yet. He finally talks Saul into, uh, you know, fighting Goliath. You know, Saul kind of fights with him a little bit. But he, so David goes out with his sling and his staff. He hurls this rock. It hits Goliath in the head. It sinks in, supernaturally, of course, and Goliath dies. But see, Goliath wasn't the only giant that he slayed in the story. See, I believe actually the voices of opposition were actually bigger giants that David overcame because they could have kept him from walking in his destiny. And the first voice that we see David battling is the voice of the accuser. Who do you think you are? Your God has no power. He's not a deliverer. He won't follow through. You see, the accuser is really clever. He often knows the places of uncertainty in our lives, places that we're open, we're susceptible. Like Goliath in this, in this story was the mouthpiece, and he was highly effective. I want you to imagine hundreds and hundreds of grown men, like these aren't boys here, grown men, they see Goliath up there going, rah, rah, and they're like, ah, you know, just like in running, I mean, can you imagine grown men for 40 days, like every... Eventually, you would think someone would be like, all right, I'm just going to fight him, you know? But 40 days, they scream and run away in terror. So why didn't David run away? Why wasn't he scared of this voice? I believe it was because David didn't know, didn't just know about God. David knew him personally. Like he spent time with him in a field as a shepherd when no one else was looking. You see, when, when David gives the speech to Saul to convince him to, to let him fight Goliath, he, he shares, you know, these lions and bears would actually attack, attack my flock. And so I would grab the lion by the hair and, and, and rescue the lamb, and then I would beat the, the bear and the lion to death. Like, how is that possible? It's because the Lord was with him, was teaching him to fight, supernatural power to defeat fierce enemies. You see, what they were building together in private was now being put on display in the public. 
You see, David says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. I mean, you can just hear the confidence in his voice. Now, just to be fair, David didn't always respond to the accuser that way. If you read some of his Psalms, there's like desperate desperation. There's full of despair. Rescue me, Lord. Pull me out of the mud and the mire. Uh, deliver me from my enemies. I mean, you can, you can feel almost the fear and the doubt that David experiences. But in those Psalms, David always ends up with who he knows God to be. The defender, the deliverer, the one who always comes through and rescues. You see, the voice of the accuser is best silenced by our history with God. Not what we think he is, but who we know him to be. Now, I know some of us maybe don't know God like that. And I'll just be real for a moment. It's because we haven't spent the time to know him and be known by him. I love how Bill Johnson puts it. He says, if you make history with God, he'll make history through you. You know, our time with Jesus is crucial. It's where we get to learn his voice. And our starting point is the word. It's actually called the sword of the spirit. Isn't that interesting? But the written word is only the starting point. See, the word of God, the sword of the spirit, is actually a word called rhema. It means the spoken word of God. Of God. So when God takes a scripture, you read and speaks it into your heart, that, that's when the power of the word comes and it becomes a weapon that can't be shaken. You see, David didn't defeat Goliath with a physical sword, but he did with a spiritual sword the word of God, like who God had shown himself to be when they spent time together in private. That was what was manifesting in his life. You know, one of my friends used to say, like, read the word until the word reads you. It means that when you start reading the word and something hits you, makes you stop, makes you go wow, makes you maybe even cry, then you know Jesus is starting to speak to you. And that truth, that moment right there, is now becoming part of your history together. See, David knew God like this. <laughs> well, that'll just break it right there. Okay, that's my family. Next one. That's the baby coming. She's pregnant. Yes, number four, as you can see. What else? Oh, there's our dog, Gracie. And that's our youngest right now, Malachi. Was that all the pictures? Yeah. You guys are awesome. Oh, Bill Johnson, there he is. Took that right off of Facebook. Thank you very much. Don't they make good graphics, those Bethel people? Love them. Yeah, if you make history with God, he'll make history through you. See, David knew God. Knew him. He didn't know just about him. He, he knew him. He knew what he was like, and he knew what he was not like. Sometimes that's even more important. And, and so when Goliath is like spewing these venomous words, these lofty opinions about God, it just didn't match up. He's like, he's like, that's not God. 
I know, I know him. He's, he's not like that at all. Like, do we know God like that? Do we know the Father that intimately? You see, hope rises in our life when we make history with God. That defeats the voice of the accuser because it overwhelms that voice with who we already know God to be. The second voice David battles is the voice of condemnation. Now, I can relate to this one a lot. Because if the accuser can't distort who God is, then he'll condemn who you are. And here, David's own brother attacks him. Listen to this verse. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Why is it that those closest to us have the highest potential to shut us down? To misunderstand our motives. Keep us from stepping into who we really are. You know, I know many siblings and parents that have spoken some very hurtful things over their children or over their brothers and sisters. You know, words can often create worlds. And they're impossible to take back. You see, condemning words can rob our hope and our identity like nothing else. In many cases, like people just begin to back off from their dream or their calling. And isn't it interesting, Eliab's choice of words. I know how conceited and wicked your heart is. Do you know what David is known for in the New Testament? He's known to be a man after God's own heart. And so it's attacking his very calling, his very future, what everybody's going to know. Oh, that David, he's the man after God's own heart. You know, maybe could, could he have started to think, like, maybe my heart is wicked. What if he started to believe that? Maybe I am conceited. Maybe, maybe I need to, to leave this place. But you see, the fruit of knowing and being known by God is that we discover who we really are. And this is how David replies. He goes, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? And then he turns around and he talks to the other soldiers. I mean, he basically ignores him. See, we can't let other people's voices, even some that are closest to us, distort who we're made to be. Now, this doesn't mean that people can't speak into our lives, correct us. It just means that not everyone has access to be a voice in your life. Those that come at you with anger and accusation and without love, they lose their ability to speak into your life. You know, Paul tells us, he says, we are to speak the truth in, does anybody know that? Speak the truth in love, that's right. See, the voice of condemnation could be so strong to overcome in our lives, but if a voice of correction comes in anger, in condemnation, we can just ignore it. Because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. 
I love what Leif Hedlund, how he says that. He goes, you'll never have authority to speak into what you don't love. You know, it's great for us to remember that on the receiving end, but it's also really good to know on the giving end. Like, let, let us not be the voice of condemnation in other people's lives. Let's speak the truth in love, because that crushes the voice of condemnation. The third battle, where am I on time? The third battle is the voice of false identity. You know, Saul, when David goes to Saul, Saul is pretty adamant. There is no way you are going to defeat this giant. Like, this giant has been a warrior from youth, and you're just, you're just a young man. You're, you're not even 20 years old yet. You know, what, what do you think you're going to do? But eventually, David convinces him. And then Saul, it says that this. It says, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. Now Saul means well here, but, but, what, is he, but what he's really communicating is, David, what you bring is not enough. You know, sometimes the biggest discouragement doesn't come from what people tell us. It's how, pe it's how people treat you, right? Actions speak louder. They might say something, but the actions speak louder. And for a moment, David actually agrees. He's like, if I'm going to defeat this giant, I, I got to be like the other warriors. I, I, I must have to be like Saul. And he puts the armor on, and, and he walks around and goes, is this me? Like, how often does this happen to us? When we're trying to be someone that we're not. Maybe it's to fit an expectation of someone in authority over us. Like a parent or a trusted friend. Like we try to jump ahead of who we really are and we're thinking we're just not enough so I just have to be uh, someone else. Like nothing steals our hope and our identity than the feeling of not measuring up. Not being enough. That we need to be someone else in order to really succeed or, or to win, to look like someone else, to be someone else. But you see, the father of lies is most threatened by our true identity because it's in our identity that we find our authority. See, David realizes this, and he takes Saul's armor off. He's like, wait, what am I doing? This is... This, is, this isn't me. I, I, I can't be this person. See, what he cultivated in private when he defeated lions and bears, he, he didn't have all that stuff. He didn't need it. So it says he took his staff in his hand, he chose five smooth stones, put them in his shepherd's bag, grabbed his sling, and he approached the Philistine. See, when David remembered who he really was, a shepherd that was loved by the Lord, a shepherd that defeated lions. When he was able to be himself, who God made him to be, he was able to walk into his destiny and slay the giant. 
You see, hope rises when we're able to be ourselves, when we don't have to put on a mask. We don't have to look like someone else, be someone else, and we can let God fill our very ordinary lives with his extraordinary power. Like what you're building with God really matters, and you know what? It's always going to be enough. What you're building with God right now, what's happening right now this weekend, it's going to be enough. It's going to be enough for you to go through every single battle, to battle every voice, everything you have is going to be enough. Because he's the one building it in you. So, I kind of want to share, do we have that video? Sweet. I want to share how someone kind of walked this out in their everyday life. It's a dear friend of mine named Joanna. Some of you may have seen her on the stage. We often co-lead together. She's a worship leader. And, uh, you know, she's more than a friend. She's kind of like a sister. She's, you know, been there for me and my wife and my family in hard times. Wait. I've been, we've been there for her. And I just want to show you what it looks like to walk through a long journey and see the breakthrough come. So this is a very rock cut. You're going to see next weekend, you're going to see a prettier with music and all that, but this is just the raw cut of it. But I felt like I was supposed to share that, so go ahead. I was 16, and I was feeling all the things that a 16-year-old girl feels. I wasn't being guided to bring those things to Jesus. And so I was trying to deal with them myself. And I was really sad. And then one day I was watching TV and this commercial came on and it was for a depression medication. And the person said, are you sad? Do you feel like there's a cloud that's following you? And all these things and suddenly in my heart I was like, yes, this is it. Can, and you, can you pause I, it? In that moment it was... You might just have to close your eyes and listen to her because I feel like... I, I wouldn't be able to really comprehend what she's saying when she's going, you know, like that. So you, you might just want to close your eyes. Okay, go ahead and play. <laughs> Technology, don't you love it? <laughs> I agreed wholeheartedly with that with that message and that there, there was something wrong with me and that's why I felt the way I did. And so I remember I went into my parents' room and I just said, hey, I think I have depression. Can you take me to the doctor? And for 10 years, I was on medication, off medication, on medication. I would get to a place where I thought, I don't need this anymore. And I'd stop taking it and because I wanted to feel something. And I was sick of the side effects and everything. And so, but then the depression would just come back. Life with depression probably looks a lot different than you think. Um, I've had a, people say, so could you ever, could you get out of bed? Were you just like trapped inside and you never saw anyone? And that was not the case. Um, I did isolate myself a lot. But I also uh, was very, you know, high functioning. <laughs> Um, I was a volunteer, 
high-level volunteer. I was a leader. I was leading small groups. I was leading worship and living in a personal hell. And there's this constant stream of lies that are just going through your head. You are not worth anything. Nobody actually likes you. Or you're only worth what you give. And that it will never change. I think that's the biggest lie that I believed was this will never change. It could never get better because this is who I am. So I kind of, I came to a place in my life where I was sick of it. And I didn't know how much more I could take of being depressed. And um, I had actually gone to my doctor and we were at the highest dosage I could be on on my medication. And I said, what could we do? And she's like, you know, this is where we're at right now. And I remember just starting to cry in her office. And I just said, I think that the only thing that can help me now is Jesus. I think that's all I have. Uh, I thank God more than all y'all. Because I, because I understand this gift. I understand the gift of a baptism of Holy Spirit. I understand the gift of tongues. Even though people may think that it's whack or outdated or they may be confused by it or they may be hating on it, whatever. They just don't understand what it is that you've given us. So I pray in Jesus' name that you just come, Lord, with the, like a mighty flood. Come and ruin us with your presence. Teach us how to receive you and what it is you want to do, what you want to bring, Lord. Yeah. In every way. Have your way in every way. We surrender it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we pray that this has helped stir and awaken you to live alive to God like never before. If you want to connect with us, let's go. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Alive Vineyard College. because I knew it would be unwise to just immediately stop. And so my doctor gave me the plan, and for the next few months, I was living on a mountaintop. It was like being, you know, we talk about being born again. It felt like being born again. I had my first birthday. I had my first Christmas. I had my first party where I didn't feel like I had to stand in the corner and escape as soon as possible. Everything felt different. You know, once Jesus healed me of depression, it was the start of another journey. And it was a journey of keeping the freedom I had and expanding the territory that God had given me. Um, you know, because the enemy would come back and test the same places that used to work. And so I had to change my habits. I, you know, listened to worship music. I started to feed myself something different. I fed myself worship. I had to feed myself the word of God. 
And, you know, my life is, is a continual journey of finding more of that freedom, more of that joy, going deeper, allowing him to use my story even more. Um, is because I want other people to know depression is not your destiny. Your destiny is freedom. And it is found in the truth of Jesus Christ. I know she's not here, but I just feel like you got to clap for that. You know, having walked through, being friends with her all through that time, you know, I'm the one that said, you need to go up for prayer, you know, when she went up for that healing prayer. And, you know, I, I guess I wanted to share that, you know, in light of like hearing something like a Jared Wilson taking his life that, you know, to not give in to the lie that freedom, full freedom is, is not possible. You know, he's not just a comforter. He's actually a healer. He's actually a deliverer. He still delivers. He still brings freedom. And the society that, that's moving in this direction where it's increasing, where depression and anxiety are, are gripping us, we actually can be the free ones because free people free others, right? And I know that there's probably some of us in this place right now that are dealing with some of those same thoughts. I know it's unique to your story, but it's similar because the enemy only has a few things under his belt, right? He accuses, he lies, he tries to veer you off to, to who you're not. That's what he does. And so I actually wanted to just take some time. Maybe we can either play like a pad on the back. I, you know, I know we always ask Ben to come up, but you can if you would like. <laughs> you know, it's a little different kind of ministry than I usually lead, but I, I really sensed that take out your notepad or your, your notes on your phone, and I want you to ask some questions. And I want you to write down what God, and I'm going to kind of lead you through this activation. And then we may pray for each other if we have time at the end. I want you to start with just you and God. And I want you to answer two questions. God, who are you? And then God, who am I? So let me just pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you, Lord, that the promise is that your sheep, we're your sheep, and we will hear your voice. We are designed to hear your voice. And so right now, I just release ears to be open to hear, Lord, to hear your voice, your still small voice. That every other voice would be drowned out by your voice right now. Open the ears in the name of Jesus that we could hear what you're saying. Thanks for listening.